At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We're glad you're here as we return to the book of Genesis for our newest series, Family, Why Bother? In the pages of Genesis, we'll discover all kinds of hurting relationships that prove family has been dysfunctional from the very beginning. Join us as we uncover the only one who can renew and restore our broken families. It's from Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 14. Now Adam knew his wife, Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought an offering to the Lord, of, and Abel from the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought the first spring of the flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to his Abel, his brother, and they were in the field. Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning, church family. Um, it's good to be with you as we open up God's word together this morning. But before we dive into the text, let's, let's pray. Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for the fact that you have given us this warning for us in this passage this morning. And I pray that as we come to your word this morning and see exactly what this, this looks like, that we would, we would hear, heed your warning, Lord, that we would turn from our sin and turn to Jesus. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Well, I'm uh, excited to be here as we open up uh, the, the, in the third week of our Family Why Bother series. Now, if you haven't been with us the last couple of weeks or it's your first Sunday, uh, maybe you think that's an interesting name for a series title. But basically, what we're going through uh, as we go through this series is the various family conflicts that we see within the book of Genesis. And if you've ever read through Genesis before, you know that there is lots of conflict amongst families. And it's important for us to see what God's word has to say about some of these things because we all deal with family conflict. 
Family conflict is just something that we're all too familiar with uh, to whatever degree that might look like in all of our lives. And this week, we're going to see the effects that pride has on family, but really on life in general as we come to this text this morning. Maybe you've heard it said in our culture before that pride comes before the fall. Maybe it's something we just kind of playfully throw around or maybe we direct towards other people that pride comes before the fall. But my question for us today is, do we actually look inwardly when we throw this saying out there? Do we stop and think for ourselves that, we are actually, that our actions display that we truly believe that pride comes before the fall? I think most of the time we look outwardly when we throw this out there. Maybe it's more playfully, like one of our favorite, or not so favorite, I should say, sports teams uh, loses. I, I think uh, back to this, this last season in, in Michigan football, for Michigan football, I don't think anybody expected them to become the champions of the Big Ten this last year. I know I certainly didn't, I'm a big fan. Uh, I, I certainly didn't. And even as the season went on and we get to the last week of the regular season, I'm like, I, I still don't think it's going to happen. Why? Well, because out of the last 16 times they had played their arch rival, Ohio State, they had only won one of those games. And the previous two times that they had played, it was a blowout in favor of Ohio State. So naturally, nobody thought they had a chance, or if you did, uh, you were just very optimistic, uh, or, or you were one of the players who just came out strong and, uh, and, and played hard throughout that entire game. I think even some, to some extent, the Ohio State players that day weren't expecting it. They were kind of caught off guard, but thankfully, the 42-27 outcome that day was in favor of the Michigan Wolverines. For those of you who are uh, Michigan fans, I'm sure you were very excited that day. I'm sure I wasn't the only one that rejoiced at the downfall of Ohio State that day. Uh, I know the fans that were there certainly were as they rushed the field. Uh, maybe some were even tempted to say that pride comes before the fall. Now, to add, whether that was truthful or not, you'd have to ask the Ohio State uh, Buckeyes team about that. But, uh, but I think it's something that we oftentimes throw out in terms of other people, isn't it? Whether it's our sports teams that fail or whether it's friends who we see going down a path that we're like, that's not good. And we ultimately, we ultimately see that lead to their demise. Or maybe it's after we see debates being won, maybe by ourselves or others, varying levels of severity there. Maybe it's politics or something like that that we, that we win the debate for and we're like, oh, pride comes before the fall. But do we really stop and think about what that means for us in our own lives? Do, we, do our actions truly reveal that we believe that pride does come before the fall? Do we examine the sin that exists in our hearts to see if we can root that out, to see it rooted out because we know how destructive it can be in our lives if we allow it to just stay there? Or do we, or do we um, simply treat it like it's not a big deal? Like we can just sweep it under the rug that, oh, what somebody else is doing over here is far worse than what we did, so it's really just not that big of a deal. Well, today as we come to Genesis 4, 1 through 14, we're gonna see that faithless pride destroys fallen people. That faithless pride destroys fallen people. And, and really all pride carries with it a component of, of, of unbelief, of, of faithlessness, if you will, because there's, there's some part of us that is saying that we can do whatever it is without, on our own without God. 
And so we're gonna see some important truths about pride today as we come to this text. We're gonna see how it distorts God's original intention for family, that it was to be a beautiful picture that displays his love that he experiences within himself to the world. From the very beginning of time, God has experienced great love within the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. And he wants family to be that beautiful picture of that love that he experiences within himself. But the fact of the matter is that while, yes, there are times where family does reflect that today, there are also times where it doesn't. And that's because of the fact that we are all descended from Adam and Eve. The fact that we are descended from this first family who through whom sin entered the world as they disobeyed the word of God. They didn't listen to him. And as a result, all of us here today, are, since we are descended from them, deal with things like pride, sin, and rebellion in our lives. And I think that's gonna be very evident as we come to this passage today and we see some of the first descendants of Adam and Eve. We're gonna look at, at, at their two, two of their, son, their sons, Cain and Abel, this morning. And in the first couple of verses of this passage, we are introduced to these sons. We are introduced first to Cain, who we see is the firstborn son of Adam and Eve. And as soon as he is born, Eve rejoices at this gift that God has, has given them. And he actually becomes the focus of our passage today, Cain does. And I'm sure at that point, at the point of his birth, Eve would have loved to hear that her son was going to be, play such an important role in the fourth chapter of Scripture. But as we come to see this morning, that's not the case, that it's, it's, it's actually very sad how he came to the place that where he is today in scripture. But we also learn of his brother, Abel. And we learn about Abel, basically his occupation there in verse two, it says that he was a keeper of sheep. Basically, he was a shepherd. And we see Cain's occupation as well, that he was a worker of the ground. So essentially, Cain was a farmer, and Abel was a shepherd. And this is gonna be important as we come to this passage this morning, as we go along in there this morning. But what we really see from these first couple of verses is that Adam and Eve were experiencing a degree of fruitfulness in their lives after sin had entered the world, after the fall. But even though they were experiencing this fruitfulness, things were once again going to get darker for this family after the fall. One of the first things we see about pride in our passage this morning is that failure in faith is the front door to pride. That failure in faith is the front door to pride. Cain is a, is a massive warning for us in regards to this. We see this in, in verses three through five, which say this. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. What we see here isn't super hard to understand. We, we see these offerings that are brought before the Lord. Cain brings a fruit offering and Abel offers the firstborn of his flock to the Lord along with the fat portions that came with that. But what we see is that God accepts one of these offerings while rejecting the other. He accepts Abel's offering while rejecting Cain's offering. And Cain becomes angry at that. We see that at the very end of verse five there, that Cain's face has fallen and he's become angry at the fact that the Lord has rejected his offering. 
And so it leads us to ask the question, well, well, why is it that God rejects his offering? Why is it that this offering is rejected by the Lord? And maybe we're tempted to see, maybe you've studied this passage before, maybe even as we're coming to it today, you're like, I'm not really sure why. Maybe, maybe the passage says it, maybe it doesn't, but at the same time, the beauty is that this isn't the only time that these sacrifices are talked about in Scripture, and so we have more clarity as to what is going on if we dive further into some of those things. And one of the passages I want us to look at today in regards to, to what the Scripture has to say about these offerings is found in 1 John three twelve, which says this. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Now, I know we're kind of getting ahead of the game here, hearing that Abel is about to be killed by Cain. Uh, Not meant to be a spoiler alert there, but at the same time, we also see something else that's important for us in this passage. It's that, that the reason he murdered Abel was because his deeds were evil while Abel's were righteous. So there was something that Cain had done prior, prior to, to killing Abel that was evil in the eyes of the Lord. And really the only thing that we know of from this passage in Genesis 4 that Cain did was offer up this sacrifice. So there was something about this, the offering of this sacrifice that was evil in the eyes of the Lord, whereas Abel was regarded as righteous for this. And we're not going to go there right now, but in Hebrews 11.4, Abel is commended for this offering because it is by faith that he has offered this offering to the Lord. And it's through that faith that the Lord commends him as righteous. And so if it is his faith that makes him righteous in offering this this sacrifice, we can also uh, glean from that that it is Cain's faithlessness that leads to the rejection of his offering to the Lord. And when I think of giving to the Lord in a place of faithlessness, I kind of think of giving leftovers, right? The things that don't really matter, the things where we're like, I guess God can have that. I guess he can have that, that part of my heart, of my life. I mean, think about eating leftovers with me for a minute. I don't think, I think most of us probably aren't as excited to eat food for the second time, right? To eat those leftovers. Maybe there's the occasional time where we find ourselves thinking, oh man, that was better the second time. But generally speaking, that's not the case. Because there's a level of preparation that goes into making food the first time, right? Whether we go to a restaurant or enjoy a nice home-cooked meal, there's a level of preparation that goes into it that makes it so that it is ready to eat as soon as it is made, and it's much better that way. But when it comes to eating leftovers, what do we do? Well, we go to our fridge, we, we open it up, we look inside, and we say, ah, I guess that's good enough. We put it on the plate, warm it up in the microwave, and it's good to go. We can eat it. But it, it, it's not as good. There's a difference in the quality of it, right? There's a difference in the quality of it. I feel like that's got to be what Cain's doing. He's like, ah, it's got to be good enough. That's, that's, that's good enough for the Lord. And I think oftentimes when we think about giving our leftovers to the Lord, we want to quantify it. And I think a lot of times when we talk about giving in the church, it has to do with money. But the thing is, there are so many different ways we can give to the Lord. There's, yeah, there's the giving of money, there's the giving of our, of our time, there's the giving of our talents and, and resources that God has given to us. 
And I think if we, we are so concerned with the quantity of what is being given rather than the quality, we're gonna miss something that's important for us. Because as we come to this passage, it's not like God is giving out specific numbers here. Maybe, maybe he is, but I, it doesn't seem very clear to me there. And, and so it seems to me that it is the quality, not the quantity that is important to God. And that quality that is important, as we said, is that quality of faith. The quality of faith, the faith that Abel had and Cain lacked. And so as we think about how we give or really do anything in life, is it from a heart of unbelief? Is it from a heart that is really reflecting that we are just giving God our leftovers, that what we have to give to him really isn't all that important? Or are we giving him the things that do matter in our lives because of the fact that, well, guess, guess what? Everything in our lives has been given to us by him. He has given us these things that we are to steward and and be good stewards of. And as a result, he deserves all of it. He deserves all of our lives. And so that's why we need to examine the places in our heart where unbelief might exist. To look closely and ask the Lord, how is it that I'm spending my money? How is it that I am using my time and and the, the talents that I have given to you, Lord? Is it to glorify you or is it out of a, out of, or or is, it, is it just because I'm obligated to do so? A place of, you know, eh, I guess, God, you can have that. We need to examine our hearts for that for, in this way because if, we, if we're careful, we have to root out that unbelief in our lives because if we're not careful, failure in faith will be the front door to our pride. The next thing we see as we move on in this passage is that the more pride, the more sin. The more pride, the more sin the more sin. Cain is, a, is, a, is an example to us as we see his pride continue to grow in his heart in these next few verses. In verses six through nine, it says, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. The Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? So as God sees what's happening in the life of Cain, how he is angry at the rejection of this sacrifice, God sees this desperate position that Cain is in. And he seeks to warn Cain which is something he didn't have to do. It was evidence of grace in Cain's life that God even did this for him, that he came and asks him, what are you doing? What what is going on with this anger? It says there in verse seven that sin is crouching at the door. And if you're not careful, it's gonna rule over you. It's gonna rule over you. Basically, he's, he's, he's telling him that he has every opportunity to repent of this sin, to bring it to, to the Lord and, and turn to him in faith. And that's the beautiful heart of our God is that he cares about people who are stuck in sin, in pride, in anger, so much so that he gives an opportunity for us to repent of that sin and be forgiven. But that's not exactly something that Cain takes seriously here because he doesn't even respond to God. In verse eight, the next thing we see about him is that Cain is speaking to his brother Abel and ultimately in verse nine that he kills Abel. We see a big difference from how he reacts to how his parents had reacted just a chapter earlier. 
You see, Eve had to be talked into the sin, to, be, to disobeying the voice of God. She had to be talked into the, to that. Yet not even God himself could talk Cain out of what he was going to do in killing his brother Abel. It's really a sad, sad thing. And God comes to Cain again and asks him where his brother's at. Where is Abel? And in verse nine, we see Cain's response. He says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Basically, he's saying, I'm not sure where Abel's at. Am I really responsible for him? Am I responsible for my brother? Am I responsible for Abel? And I think Cain's got quite a bit of nerve asking God this question. Growing up, my brother and I were very close, still are to this day. We grew up playing outside in our backyard quite a bit. Basketball was probably the big one that we, we played against each other outside. And periodically, one of the balls that we were shooting towards our hoop would end up in our neighbor's yard, and one of us would have to go and run and get it. And sometimes my mom would notice that there was only one of us out there when there should be two. And so she would peek her head outside uh, the door of our house and ask whoever she saw, where's your brother? Where's he at? And I can tell you that if we ever responded like Cain does here to the Lord, that that would not have ended very well for us, that she probably would not have been very happy with us for saying that we are, we're not responsible essentially for our brother. Being in a family makes you responsible for each other's well-being. I think that that's something we can glean from this passage as well as other passages in Scripture. Uh, I also think that, that if we were really to take that seriously, we could take it to the next level and, and see that the same is true for brothers and sisters in Christ, that we are responsible for one another's well-being. I mean, passages like Acts 2 stand out to me where we see the early church just coming alongside and really helping each other out in the needs that they had. Yeah, it looks like that in our lives as well helping one another in our needs. But it's also noticing the sin that exists in our brothers and sisters in Christ's lives and calling it out. Now, that doesn't mean if you are uh, here and you have a brother or a sister, you can just uh, go and point fingers at them and all of that. I'm not giving you that excuse by any means. No, what this looks like is coming alongside uh, people and asking them good questions. Just saying, hey, I'm noticing this in your life. What, what, what's, can you tell me more about that? Help me understand what's going on and allowing them to have the space to just open up a bit about it. But know, so, knowing that you are going to love them as you point them to Jesus and call out the sin that exists within their lives. This is actually a very gracious thing to do. It's what God does for Cain here in this passage. He isn't somebody who is just coming in and just, he's, he's very gracious in his approach. He's a gentle in his approach, right? He's not trying to lord anything over Cain, even though he could be really, uh, if he really wanted to, he could have. But at the same time, that's, so that's, what, that, that's what, when we come alongside and do that for people in our own lives, it's, it's a gracious thing because if we don't, if that sin goes unchecked, well, it begins to grow. It begins to snowball a bit and it starts hurting people. It hurts the Lord. It hurts ourselves as we believe there are places in our hearts that don't truly need God. So it hurts us. It hurts everybody. And maybe some of you here today are like, well, yeah, but I, I could never do what Cain does in this passage. And I, if that's you, I, I'm assuming that you're talking more so about the murder of Abel there. And if that's the case, I surely hope that nobody here is, is, is capable of that. That's a, that's a, that's a, it's tough. That's t it's, it's sad. But to say that we could never do anything that Cain does in this passage is just false. Because all of us here struggle with things like pride and anger. Jesus even talks about anger in his Sermon on the Mount. 
He says that some of you have heard it said that if you murder, then you're going to be liable for judgment. Well, he says basically, but I say to you that, it's the, that it's, it's, if you are angered towards your brother, that makes you liable to judgment. What he's helping us see there is that anger, when it's left unchecked, is the pathway towards murder. When it's taken to its utmost extreme, anger is seen in murder. Now, not all will do that. Not all will anger is going to lead to murder. And I certainly, as I said earlier, hope none of us here today would do anything like that. But at the same time, if we each of, each of us were to look inwardly, there's not one of us here who could say, I have never been prideful or I have never been angry. And if you do, well, you're lying. It's just not, it's not possible. All of us have been frustrated at time with family members, brothers and sisters, parents. Everybody gets under our skin in our family from at one point or another. Coworkers that place expectations. Friends that in the moment just aren't acting like friends. People we deem as enemies in our lives. I mean, we could go down the list time and again. And the fact of the matter is we need to see our sin in those moments. And sometimes we need people to help us see our sin in those moments. And just as we are, are liable for those in our lives and coming alongside them and helping them see their sin, we need people who can point out our sin to us in our own lives as well. And sometimes that means reaching out to somebody and saying, hey, I need you to do this for me. Because we need these, these types of people in our lives because pride is that dangerous. The more pride that exists in our lives, the more sin that will exist there as well. And one final thing we see about pride as we come to our passage today is that pride kills relationships. Pride kills relationships. The effects of Cain's pride have not finished snowballing and getting worse and worse in his life. We're going to see exactly what happens now in verses 10 through 14. It says, And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and waterer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. God isn't fooled by Cain's attempt to say, hey, I'm not really sure where my brother's at. After all, God had already come to him once before to warn him about his pride, to warn him that something worse was going to happen, that sin was going to rule over him if he wasn't careful. And now that it has, we're about to see the consequences, the negative consequences really of Cain's pride that come, uh, come upon him. One of the first things we see there in verse 11 is that God directly curses Cain. He says that, the ground, or, you know, he is cur that Cain is cursed from the ground, which is a little bit different than what we see in Genesis 3 as God uh, says to Adam that the ground will be cursed because of you. It's more of an indirect curse that Adam received, whereas Cain is receiving this direct curse from, the God, from God, basically showing that he has been separated from the, the mercy of God because of his pride. It's a sad thing. It doesn't just impact Cain spiritually, 
but also professionally as well as relationally in his life. As we saw from verse 2, Cain was a, was a farmer, and now he's being told that the ground isn't going to produce for him, that basically he's out of a job now. And, uh, and so that's, that's, that's got to be tough to hear, but it's not all that he hears either. He's told that he's going to live on the earth as a wanderer and as a fugitive. Basically, he's going to live alone, separated from his family. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sad thing to think about, that he's going to be that alone. And I think he starts realizing the gravity of all of this. I don't think that he, he repents by any means. But he starts seeing that, hey, this has ruined me spiritually, that I'm disconnected from God, that it's ruined me uh, professionally as I am out of a job now. And now he's seeing that it ruins him relationally as well. And he says it's to the point where anybody who finds me there in verse 14, he says, will kill him. Anybody who finds him will kill him. And think about that for a moment, who it would be that would find Cain at this point. Like we're not really sure of anybody else at this point other than his family, right? So anybody who would have found him to take vengeance for, his, for killing his brother and do the same to him would have been a family member of his, somebody he would have known. This has completely cut him off from everything in life. His pride has alienated him from God, from his work, and from his family. It has completely devastated his life. And when I think of this, it's kind of like Gollum from Lord of the Rings, who starts out as Smeagol, stumbles upon this ring, this ring of power and and, and beauty for him, and he kills for the ring. He kills for that ring and begins obsessing over that ring, much like Cain's just insisting on his own way throughout this passage today, which leads to him becoming Gollum and alienating himself from everything in his life, living in a cave, basically becoming something less than human because of all of this. This ring has destroyed Gollum, much like Cain's pride has destroyed him. And if we're not careful today, Pride is going to do the same thing to us. It's going to destroy us. It's why when we we see ourselves giving in to sin in our lives, we can't just sweep it under the rug. We can't just sweep it under the rug. We need to bring it into the light. Bring it to the Lord to repent of our sin and turn to him in faith when we find ourselves tangled up in sin in our lives. And actually, we have a clearer picture today of how devastating the sin of our pride and rebellion can be because we have the cross. We have the cross. The cross reminds us that our pride is such a devastating thing because Christ hung there. Not because he had done anything wrong. No, he had lived a perfect life. He lived a perfect life. And as a result, he still was sentenced to death as he hung on the cross bearing the weight of our sin, our pride, our rebellion, any of our sins. He he bore it all there for us. He, he, He died a death that was gruesome and excruciating for him. Yet as much as it reminds us of the devastation of pride, the cross also reminds us of the beauty that comes with being forgiven. Because Jesus didn't stay dead but rose victoriously from the grave three days later and made a way for us through faith in his death and resurrection by repenting of our sin 
to be brought into a relationship with God in the here and now and to be restored from the effects of sin, pride, rebellion, and so on in, the life, in our lives today. He has restored us to what family can be in our lives. And maybe you're here today and, and, and feel like, man, I just don't have a great relationship with my family though. Maybe it's for a variety of reasons, I'm not sure. But maybe you still feel like it's pride that is holding you back from reaching out in those moments. To reaching out to a, a parent or a brother or sister. And, and, and maybe you just need to, you, you're starting to feel the weight of that today as, we're, as we opened up God's word here. I'd encourage you to confess your sin, to bring it into the light before the Lord. And, and repent of your sin. But also to, to, to come al- have, have brothers and sisters in Christ come along you and encourage you in all of this as you seek restoration in your life with whomever that might need to be. And maybe you're here today and you're like, yeah, I've tried that. I've tried to be restored to various family members who just want nothing to do with me. And that's gotta be a tough place to be. It's gotta be. And if that's your case this morning, Cling to Jesus. Cling to the cross that does absolutely restore us to the concept of family in this world as we we have not just a biological family but also a spiritual family that we have in in this life. And so I'd encourage you to press into that here at Woodside, to press into your church family here. Maybe you're not part of a life group already. Join a life group. Be a part of that. Go through life with brothers and sisters in Christ who need to be pointed uh, to Jesus all the same. Maybe it's serving in various capacities that you're not already, or maybe it's just stepping in and serving because you're not currently serving at all. There's various ways to get connected here at Woodside, and we would love for you to take those steps because being in community is such an important thing because if we are isolated from people, Our sin is going to do the exact same thing we see here in Cain's life. It's going to snowball. It's going to get bigger and bigger until it hurts people, perhaps even kills relationships because pride absolutely can kill our relationships. From all of this today, hopefully you have seen that faithless pride destroys fallen people, that faithless pride destroys fallen people. All pride in some uh, some sense reveals an area of our heart that is reflecting unbelief. And so we can run to the Lord and ask him to help us in the midst of our unbelief. Cain's example reminds us just how devastating our pride can be. God was gracious to him just as he is to all of us, yet he rejects it. He rejects this grace and it opens the door for pride to enter into his life. And this just begins to snowball and snowball to the point where he kills his brother and it literally takes everything away from him in his life. For Cain, pride came before the fall. It absolutely did. And that's why Cain is the reason why we need to examine ourselves. We need to ask ourselves, do I really act as though pride comes before the fall? Because if we're not careful, we're going to experience the same kind of downfall in our lives. It might look a bit different than what it did for Cain, but we will nonetheless see our sin grow to the point where it hurts others. And that's why we need to examine our hearts and see where it is that we might be giving God the leftovers or just experiencing unbelief in some way within our hearts. 
Maybe we need somebody to come alongside us and, and help us see this, this sin and this pride. Maybe we need to do the same for others in our lives. Maybe it's just having good Christian community around us so that when those times happen, we can bring that sin into the light so that it doesn't kill every relationship that we have in our lives. But the fact of the matter is we need these steps, these, these guardrails to pride, if you will, because without them, pride will absolutely be our downfall. And it's not that we just say this to say, oh man, go out and, and be a good moral person on your own, because that's just not possible. It's not possible at all. All of us struggle with sin. All of us struggle with pride and rebellion in some way. And the beauty is, like I said earlier, we have the cross that we can look to. The cross which reminds us of God's grace available to us in Christ that we are now able through faith in Christ alone to begin to root some of that pride out of our lives and to be saved from the sin that exists within our lives. See, we see that without Christ, that faithless pride destroys fallen people. I hope you've seen this today, and I hope you heed this warning as well. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org forward slash connect to introduce yourself to us today.